This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. I would like to see the baby. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time, or this week, again, it will be a one half of a TV season at a time. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I'm here with my co-pilot, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Nothing much. Excited to, to bring this show to a close. Yes. It's always good to rewatch this as well. I, I only saw the latter half of the season once, and there's good stuff. It's funny. Uh, like We, we, talk, we talked about you know, the first four episodes uh, two weeks ago, then I... Uh, I went went back and uh, visited my family, and uh, me and my brother got together. We watched the four, first uh, five episodes all in one sitting, again. Then I came back and watched the final fi- nice. the final four again for this episode. So it's been a lot of Mando in my life over the last uh, couple weeks. I guess this episode is uh, talking about the uh, final four episodes of The Mandalorian. And uh, before, we, before we begin our discussion on that, I want to ask you guys, uh, if you enjoy the show, to please take a moment to head over to iTunes and uh, leave us a rating and review, and uh, we'll be very, very much appreciative of that. And um, there's uh, we did all we took care of most of the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, in the first episode, so let's just dive directly into this discussion, because I have a feeling it will be a long one. So uh, the first episode is Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. This one was written and directed by Dave Filoni, uh, the first in this series that was not written by Jon Favreau. And it was shot by Baz Iodine. So we open with Mando and Child being pursued through space by a plagiarizing bounty hunter. Mando takes issue with his unoriginality and vaporizes him. He then takes his battered ship to Moss Eisley on Tatooine for repairs. He leaves the ship in the care of a quirky mechanic and goes to a local cantina for uh, to look for work. Um, there he meets a young upstart bounty hunter wannabe named Toro Calican, who hires him to help hunt down the notorious assassin Fennec Shand. They ride out into the desert in pursuit of her. And after quite a few close calls, capture her. Mando goes off in search of transportation, and Shan informs Calican of Mando's wanted status. He shoots her and goes back to the mechanic shop, taking her and Baby Yoda hostage. Mando returns and uh, quickly dispatches the fool, and once again rides off with the child uh, in search of safer harbors. Yeah, so this one was super controversial when it first came out. I feel like I feel like this is it's kind of safe to say this is uh, pretty generally regarded as people's least favorite. Um, I feel like a lot of people who just straight up hated it, which, uh, I don't get, I, I had a good time. Like, I think it is, it is my least favorite, but I still had a pretty good time with it. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, like it's, it's my least favorite as well. Um, but I like you, I, there's not any one of these that I hate and it had just enough stuff and I'm like, Ooh, this, this is a cool little sequence here. That's a cool, like, there's a lot of nostalgia and. I, I don't like it whenever that's just relied on, but some of it here is actually like really cool and okay about the nostalgia. I watched this. I watched this entire episode and did not realize that that was the cantina, and you're, I didn't really feel like he was sitting in you know Han, Han Solo's uh, stall. And then uh, you know I went and like listened to a couple of podcasts, like, and people were like really mad, like oh my gosh, this entire episode is nothing but fan service. Like, and I was like. Oh, like it didn't even occur to me, and, and the <laughs> episode just worked. And I think I think that's that's good fan service because if you look at the structure of the story, he would have to go to a bar, he would have to meet Toro Calican. Like the if this was in the old cantina on any old planet, I don't think it will play out any differently. So, like in my view, so you might as well do that. It's, yeah, it's not a. It's not like he's like, well, 
I'm thirsty, I guess. Time to go to a cantina. Yeah. yeah. So like, that that's the kind of fan service that I have absolutely zero problem with. Because it, like, like I think if you don't know it's there and it still works, I think I think that's the good kind. Just me. Uh, also, one quick thing. Um, Steve Blum, the voice of uh, Gary Zabarellius, as well as a thousand other characters in animation, uh, it has a cameo as the Moss Eisley uh, tower operator. Nice. So uh, there are there are two uh, significant characters introduced in this episode. Uh, the first one is I am I wrote down her name somewhere. Um, uh, it's uh, Amy Sedaris as Peli Motto. Um, are you familiar with Sedaris at all? I I never heard of her before this. Apparently she's fairly well known. I I don't believe I have. Um, yeah. Uh, I didn't like her that much at first. Although on subsequent viewings, she has grown on me quite a bit. Um, so, so now I, I actually do like her a lot. She's you know, the, the, the gruff, no nonsense mechanic who's actually just an enormous softy at heart, and just the the little subplot of her kind of falling in love with Baby Yoda the way you know all of us did kind of warms my heart. Yeah, I had a pretty similar reaction. Where at first I'm like, ah, this just this is not gelling with the Mandalorian. This feels weird. Um, something about it just didn't work. Um, but rewatching it i i kind of had the same experience i'm like oh no this, this, she's she's kind of a fun unique character uh like she's got a very defined personality and maybe it's just because of how defined it was at first i was like oh this is this is a very very clear acting choice very clear character choice and i don't know how it's how it's working but uh i ended up liking her a lot more the second way through especially like she's not annoying by the end of it and i think knowing Knowing what they're doing with the character, I she is just a lot more fun. I had with her uh, the second time, and I, I just like the whole racket she has going. Like, oh, oh yeah, that's gonna need to be tightened up. Oh, you <laughs> got a leak there. Oh, got some carbon scoring. Oh yeah. Oh no, this is gonna cost you, man. <laughs> like just and this this was something that I've really kind of noticed is the episodes that aren't written by Favreau, uh, this one and then and uh, the next one, they. They have, I, I want to call, I, I don't know, I wouldn't say that the writing is like, like better, but I think it's a lot richer. I feel like the world feels just more lived in the people, the characters just feel like they have more meat on their bones. Um, One of, one of my issues with most of the episodes is that every single line of dialogue has a direct either plot or character purpose. It is the character saying what they need to say, you know, to get us to the next bit. And there's like almost like zero fluff dialogue. And then when you have an episode like this or the ne- or the prisoner, you really kind of realize what you've been missing. Like as far as just like people just kind of talking like people. And there's just a this I feel like there's a lot a lot more texture to it. And I won't say it's better because I think there are some issues with Filoni's writing, but just on that level, it just feels more lived in and richer and textured i think than favreau's episodes did you notice that at all um maybe not as much in this one more so in the prisoner um and i think a lot of that is simply you know it's probably due to differences in writing style and and that episode just maybe lends itself more to that of a bunch of different people and you you're just having you've got a a scenario that's just going to allow for more talking back and forth you know because you've got mm-hmm. so many people together um but i i i guess i never paid attention to who was writing it so it, it didn't seem initially to me of oh, okay this is 
this feels different because of the writer. It was more of just, oh, this episode feels like it's allowing for more of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the, uh, oh, also, uh, pit droids. They show up, and they're mm. awesome, and I love them. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, uh, that brings us to uh, the other, and pro- I would say, at least in my opinion, less successful character, uh, Toro Calican, who is played by um, Jake Cannavale, who is the son of uh, Bobby Cannavale. And uh, also, before we get into him, I, we do kind of got to talk about some stuff about the, the, the guy, the actor outside. Like, uh, <laughs> I knew that this was going to come up. Yeah, but he also he's the grandson of Sid, Sid, uh, the director Sidney Lumet on his mother's side too, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but um, so at, shortly after, so the the Mandalorian was airing like right along the final two episodes aired on either side of the Rise of Skywalker, and uh, and so uh, Jake took I like to Instagram or one of the social the social media uh, sites and just put up th- this expletive laden uh, rant about the rise of skywalker uh, there's a couple of choice phrases um he said uh i'm in the star star wars universe now so surely i can't speak ill of episode nine right wrong the rise of skywalker was hands down the worst star wars movie an absolute effing failure the rise of skywalker by the way dumbass title was worse than the phantom menace and the last jedi combined fight me and it, it just kind of goes on and on and it's like a lot of caps and exclamation points it's uh, so it, he's one of those guys and yeah, definitely here because of his legacy, <laughs> you know, like I can't imagine that this personality is really going to take him places. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it doesn't help that nobody really liked his character to begin with, <laughs> which well, was funny. isn't entirely his, it's not entirely his fault because the character is written to be kind of a twerp, you know, an idiot, but he just kind of comes in and <laughs> shows that maybe he's actually exactly like his character. That's exactly what I was um, thinking too. I was like, I, you know, no, I'll we'll talk more about this whenever we start reviewing the episode. But the whole time I was battling internally, like, is he playing it well, and I'm not supposed to like him, or do I just really not like this actor at all? And then I read these comments and I was like, oh, you're not doing yourself favors, bud. You, you sound like, you sound like this character in Star Wars, if you were in our world, would say all of the things that his post would say. Like, I, maybe you played it well because you're just this guy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's too mean to him. Maybe he's an otherwise great guy, but yeah. Whatever that says about his character, like his character as a person, that's just a really unprofessional attitude. Oh, yeah. That's not going to win him any friends in the industry. And me insult, uh, he's like gonna... Abrams, this massive producer, is like in control of DC now, and is gonna, uh, yeah. Oh, w- with a single word, he can make sure he never works in you know at Lucasfilm again. Exactly. Yeah, you want to calm down there again. Uh, so about the character of Toro Calcan, as you said. It's kind of hard judging his performance because the character he plays is so inherently kind of unlikable and insecure and just kind of whiny that, like, did you do a good job and therefore I don't like you or do I not like you because you're not doing a good job? And I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think he's fine. He's perfectly fine. But I think that the character the character needed a, an actor with more... Well, just more in, more charisma and inherent empathy so that like I feel like for this arc to work as it does in the episode, we got it. We have to kind of like him 
And so, like, when he turns in the end and he goes bad, it should be disappointing. Like, oh, you know, you were bonding with Mando. We, you know, you, you, you were kind of done when you started, but we, we thought you were coming somewhere. And no, no, you went the bad way. And it just doesn't, when it happens, you're like, oh, yeah, I knew, I knew you would do this. I hate you. I, I knew I was right to hate you. And, like, it, you don't really feel anything. Where I feel like it, a, this kind of arc done better, you would have, you know, felt very disappointed when, it, when he turns. Yeah, and... I was I was thinking about uh, his performance as well as um, uh, the guy who plays the the prisoner they're trying to rescue in in the episode The Prisoner, which I, I really like that. Uh, do what? Quinn, I think it's the person. Yes, name. yeah. Um, which I really like that episode, uh, but I'm not a huge fan of his performance in that either. And I, I was thinking about both of them. Although I think he's better. He's better for sure, but I still I don't know. I think like both characters have like very clear kind of like identities or personality thing like traits and whenever you have a character that is that loud and is that like clearly like this is this kind of person you have to play this kind of person as opposed to like you're just playing a an everyman kind of guy and when you try to add things on top of that like the just the loud brash uh, aspects of of his character here or or the uh, Quinn's very like raspy he's clearly going for something and and neither characters really work for me and i was i was just thinking about like what makes these kinds of characters we're like oh there's just something about them it's not just oh and then we have this flat character it's like oh no there's something about it that makes it memorable like i think of dj from the last jedi i'm like oh i wrote that in my notes like we should like i did you i'm really like i was saying like i was trying to figure out why i don't care when he turns and i compared to dj like where i'm genuinely disappointed when dj turns yeah and it's be- like there's just something i mean it's why i'm it's why a lot of people aren't actors and like it's why the great ones are known as the great ones like uh, benicio del toro where it's like you take this weird like he's got such a very clear personality like there's so many things about him that are unique the stutter all of that in the wrong hands all of that is just so cringy but when you, you like I feel like whenever you write characters this with this many things that make them stand out, you really have to have like a seasoned actor to sell it and not come up. Because I think I think my issue with the two performances I brought up is both feel like actors trying, mm-hmm. as opposed to something like DJ was like, no, that's a guy, which that's is a person. It, there. I I have a problem with a lot of the characters in the prisoner with that. We'll, we'll get to that later. Um, I feel like the, everyone is trying a bit too hard in that episode. Yeah, so I feel like if like uh, this is kind of the same problem we had with uh, the Sanctuary episode where it was either you have to make the episode like 20 minutes longer, in which case you run into the danger of like, we've seen all this before, but you still you'll you need that time to land the emotional beats or you cut it down really short. So it's fun and, and, you know, zippy and we don't get tired of it, but also we don't feel anything. And I feel like this arc should have been like two episodes or something. Um, you know, you know, getting to like this character and, you know, forming a bond and going out on these adventures. And then, so then, then you have that final climax and showdown between the, you know, the, uh, the master and the apprentice and it's all sad and melodramatic and, you know, and, uh, Star Wars. Uh, but this show doesn't really have time for any of that. Yeah. Oh, and you know, it's a, it's a self, it's, it's a, it's a choice it's made, you know, which, which again comes with its own pros and cons. Yeah. And, 
and I, th- I think there are some really interesting touches uh, to Calican. Um, I mean, he's he, like on the surface, he's, he's just this kind of very he's he's such a wannabe. Like he and he's so insecure. He just always t- just talks too much and begging to be taken seriously, which means no one's going to take him seriously. Um, but also the whole thing, I, I feel like he's a ri- like the the child of a very rich family, you know, rich and important family who you know, who grew up reading too many uh, adventure stories. And now wants to, you know, to, to join in and become a bounty hunter. And I think the interesting thing about it is that he's not entirely incompetent at the job. Like, he's not good at it because he's so new. But like he's also, he, he can kind of, you know, work work his way through it and figure it out as he goes. Like, it's like, I, I said they could have made him real, super goofy and incompetent. But they also, they gave him a, 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 a low baseline level of competence that kind of carries him out. To where I feel like if he wasn't trying so hard... He could probably survive in this world and become a bounty hunter, but he just tries too yeah. hard. And and the thing, like I I like as a character, I really like that. And I I think there's there's several moments where I have to give him credit because I do think he's got some really good moments in the episode. I really like his introductory scene a lot, actually. Um, I love that we introduce him. He's sitting in Han Solo's seat with his foot up on the table, which a like, lot a lot of people like got angry about that as if it's somehow disrespecting you. Know, you're no Han Solo, but I think that's the that's point. The point, yeah, exactly. And that's exactly why, like, that's that's why I bring that up is because I love you know we hear him say like, oh yeah, and, you know he's he's trying to like be like, oh you're not talking to the right person, and we see him, and he gets and immediately like everybody the audience and the mandalorian included are just like okay i i see exactly who you are and the whole, like it's it's an intentional it's an intentional like contrast of like hey you remember how like effortlessly suave and awesome han solo was here's this guy who's trying so hard and i like that like the meta idea that that he's sitting you know he probably i doubt he knew that that was han solo but i like i like that the you know they're playing to the audience they're like oh you remember like he's sitting exactly how the guy he would love to be was and i think that was really good and i think uh his like his pitch to the mandalorian i think that's a well-acted scene uh a moment that i really like a lot is whenever the mandalorian agrees to it and he's like i'm fine like if, if you rewatch that scene just like look at uh his reaction to him being told like he's in because he kind of has this like two second like change in facial expression of like whenever you talk to your parents into letting you do something that you weren't sure about. You just have this immediate excitement and then you hold it back and try to play it cool. Like it's a, it's a moment that I think is really well done. It's kind of like that scene in revenge of the Sith where like Hayden Christensen is actually really amazing. Whenever he finds out that Padme's pregnant where it's like, they gotta, they gotta present a lot of different emotions and change real quick. And it, it's all well done. And, and so I like that first scene a lot with him. I think it's, it's more whenever he makes the transact the transition into antagonist that I just I I don't think he's able to play that portion of the character super well. Yeah, although that turn, I think my favorite my favorite uh, thing that the character does is when he shoots Fennec Shand, which is like that's a great moment. Yeah, yeah, and again, you know, again, kind of showing that he's he's smarter than he looks, but he's not smart enough. Yeah. Yeah, so they go on this adventure and they ride speeders across the desert, which is so freaking cool. I love like the visual, like the sand being whipped up and that incredible kind of like 
whatever you would describe that kind of sound and theme in the in that track that plays it, oh. it, it's the mandalorian theme but like play it's just pure adventure like there's no mystery or intrigue it's just we're out and we're having fun yeah yeah it's so good <laughs> and the tuscan right the thing about this episode is this is like by far the most western episode like I, like every single plot beat and movement and thing that happens is like corresponding to a classic western trope um, you know, the whole thing, going to the bar, you know, meeting the gunslinger, teaming up, riding out in the desert after the outlaw. Uh, oh, no, the outlaws, you know, he's got the high ground and he's sniping, you know, he he, he left a, de- you know, a dead guy tied to a horse as bait. And it's like Tuscan it's Raiders old. are very much like the Native Americans yeah. of the old school Westerns. And, and, and that was that was kind of a cool touch. You know, they, yeah. they, they, they say this is their land and they have the side language, which is and they actually uh, they hired a deaf actor to play the guy, the, the Tuscan who's doing the sign language. That's cool. <laughs> Why don't you tell them yourself? Hey, those are brand new. They were. Also, I love that binoculars and Star Wars are just called Binox. <laughs> yes. Where did that name come from? Was that is that the New Hope? Uh, I don't know. Like this is the first time I've ever like actually, I guess, been aware of what they're actually called. Mm-hmm. I don't remember them being referred to before by name. Yeah, so they, you know, they got they got to negotiate with the Native Americans to get to the land, and they do the the, you know, the desperate nighttime, cal, you know, horse horse charge at the hills, and that sequence, um, that sequence is really good, and I think because it's mostly CGI, it's you know, it's so much more in Filoni's wheelhouse. Although, yeah, and so like it, it just plays to his strength, and it's just a cool idea, you know, just charging headlong at a sniper, you know, alternating the flares. Yeah. Um it's all just very well done. And the and way the the bolts just like ricochet off of his armor is such a cool effect to me. Mhm. Although the geography is super wonky, like how do they get from the bottom of the hills all the way up and behind her in like a matter of seconds? Yeah, don't think about it. <laughs> I think about it. I think about it every time. Uh although and although Filoni did improve a lot you know, in his hand-to-hand combat. Like the fight between her yes. you know, him and Calican and Fennec is actually pretty decent. Also, I've got to shout out. I love that they brought back Dubacks. Like, take all uh, of that. Everybody who hated them being added to the special editions because I've always loved Dubacks. That that shot of the Dubak is like one of the most iconic moments in Star Wars for me. So it's like, I, I don't. Yep. Take your hate and shove it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but back to this. Um, so Fennec Shand is played by actress uh, was it, uh, Ming-Na Wen. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you familiar with her at all? Apparently uh, she she's the voice of Mulan. She's the voice of Mulan. Uh, I'm most familiar with her uh, in uh, Agents of Shield, which I haven't seen. Yeah, she's uh, she's one of the core cast in that. Yeah, and uh, she's she's pretty good. It's a very very small role, um, but she she is scary, and I believe she, she could kill uh, Jake Cannavale very very easily. <laughs> yeah, and so then he you know she convinces him to uh, to turn on Mando, and he shoots her, which I think you know, again. Which is kind of the revelation of just how despicable this guy actually is. Um, he's able to hide it by being pathetic most of the time. <laughs> Do you think she's dead? I think she's dead. Yeah. Uh, what, what is your predict? What is your prediction on who the guy in the ending is? A lot of people uh, are saying I, Boba Fett because of the Spurs. So I I thought, and I thought for sure that it was revealed as that was Moff Gideon. Uh, hmm. And that's who all I've always interpreted as, but I guess, like, I mean, I guess it's not 
confirmed, but like it has a similar black cape that he wears, and it looks like w- watching him in the last two episodes. That's who it looks Do, like still to me. But does Gideon have spurs when he walks? Or that spur, you know, clinking sound. Uh, I'd have to. Well, now I'd have to rewatch the episode and really pay attention to that. For like, that's always how I've seen that. Uh, well, I say always, <laughs> but the, both the times I've watched through it. Um, but who knows? Because I, I, I feel like you know. I don't know. It, it feels like introducing him there. This is a guy who's going to be coming in at the finale. And then we've got a guy coming in with the black cape in the finale. I'm like, okay, I think that's who that is. Maybe. Yeah, like, if he's someone who we see in the show, that's definitely who it would be. Although it could be setting up for season two. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of cliffhanger or a post-credit scene type of thing. So then we go back to the mechanic shop and I, the climax for me is, is just super underwhelming. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan. It, it's weird. It's too dark. And there's not like, you don't really have that drawn out cat and mouse thing. It's, it's a very, this happens and this happens and this is your climax. And I don't know. It, it felt anticlimactic. And there's, there's no, there's no emotion to the betrayal. It's just, Oh, like, Hey idiot, bang, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Although I like that you're seeing his speeder outside the hangar is like seeing the horse tied up outside the bar. Yeah. Like this, again, this classic Western imagery. Here's the thing. Like, you know, if if their intention wasn't to have this feel like this emotional, like this betrayal, like, oh, crap, we were rooting for you. Like, I almost wish that they would have then instead like played more like played up this unlikable aspect about him and then give him like just a more satisfying death of like ha take that you stupid punk because like if you're not gonna have him have it be like oh man i was really hoping he'd be good and you're just gonna stick to your guns have baby yoda crush his skull yeah like just do something like oh what a little twerp i love how he died but this is just like i mean cool you shot him but if you're not gonna try to make him likable and he's just gonna be annoying this whole time like really make me smirk like an evil maniac at his death. <laughs> it just, it happens and I feel nothing. Um, which is probably just another issue of Filoni still getting used to this kind of format. Um, I, although his pacing did improve a lot in this episode, I, I think you still kind of feel, like for some scenes, they just play right through without you know leaving the proper impact. There were some smaller touches that I, I did, like <laughs> one of my... One of my favorite little bits that he did kind of like let breathe and and play out. Although I guess this is what you were saying before where like the writing here doesn't feel as perfunctory as it always does. I love when he he sees the Mandalorian and he thinks he's sleeping. And after all he's like, you done? Oh, yep, yep, yep. 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 (laughs) That was funny. Um, Yeah, although I I think uh, visual, like this episode just looks a lot better. I think... That could just be because Tatooine's a brighter planet and it just doesn't look so grimy and muddy. But I just think it, this visually... Also, this one was shot by Baz Iodine, whereas uh, his pilot was shot by Greg Frazier. And pretty universally, I prefer Iodine's uh, episodes. Um, so I, I that, that obviously could be the director's, but you know, you got to wonder. Um, that could be why. Oh, Frazier, is, is he doing Dune? <sighs> I think so. I know he's doing. You know, he he's uh, Rogue One. He's doing uh, Matt Reeves the Batman. Okay, um, then yeah, he's doing Dune as well. I'm gonna go ahead and and choose to believe that it's directing because, I mean, Rogue One looks incredible. 
Well, yeah, but that's also that's directing. <laughs> well, I think I, th- I think uh, you know, uh, Gareth Edwards. Uh, that's Edwards. Okay, him and Evans yeah. mixed up. Uh, Ev- Edwards would make any movie look you know freaking gorgeous. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, going from Roger Deakins to him, I don't know if it feels like a downgrade. I don't know. We'll see. Obviously, um, you know, hope for the best, and obviously, be it being, you know. Uh, a great director can still, you know, make anything beautiful. It's it, it's it, it. Both of them are bringing different things, so I it'll look great. Uh, so yeah, I think it's it's a fun episode. I, I just enjoy all the western things it does and how how just kind of loving of a homage it is and the 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 chasing down the bat you know, chasing down the rogue assassin. All of it is just it's very it's very lightweight but very fun for me. Yeah. So the next episode is episode six, The Prisoner, and this one is directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Uh, uh, the story is from Christopher Yost, and uh, the teleplay is credited credited to Christopher Yost and Rick Famuyiwa. And uh, Christopher Yost, he's a MC. He's, he's done, worked on the Thor movies. Uh, he wrote. Uh, I know he wrote in Resistance. He might have written on Rebels too. Um, but he's he's done some yes. Star Wars stuff. Uh, this one has a a much bigger newer cast. Uh, has Mark Boone Jr. as Ranzar Ran Malk. Swear to uh, me. <laughs> I was about to say every time I see him, I'm just like, well, you don't like falafel. Yeah. Uh, Bill Burr as Mayfeld. Uh, Natalia Tena as Xian. I I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, uh, Clancy Brown as Berg. Richard Aoid. Is that how you say his last name? Aoid. Iodi, I think something like that. Um, everybody who's a fan of the IT crowd is gonna hate me. Um, voices the car- the droid Q90, uh, and Ismail Cruz Cordova as Quinn, with some uh, cool little cameos. Uh, we have Matt Lanter as Davin, poor uh, the poor guy who gets shot. Uh, He's the Deborah voice Chap- of uh, Anakin in Clone Wars. Oh yes, sorry. I'm saying that as a given. Hopefully, everybody knows who that is. If you don't shame on you, just as much Anakin <laughs> as Hayden Christensen or Sebastian Shaw will ever be. Uh, Deborah Chow as Sash Ketter, Rick Famuyiwa as Jib Dodger, and Dave Filoni as Trapper Wolf, <laughs> because of course <laughs> Wolf is in his name. I love that so name. much. And it, like during the episode, whenever I first saw him, I was like, "Ah, oh, it's Filoni," and then like. They're, they're all talking to each other. I'm like, I, I, I didn't know what Deborah Chow or Rick Famuyiwa looked like. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm none of these guys. You can tell none of these guys act as, as a job. <laughs> and so I'm going to assume these are all like writers and directors and stuff. But I'm okay with that because it's just kind of cool. Everyone is in this episode. Just everyone. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, as my sister pointed out, really, they're just kind of like acting along with... Um, our typical X-wing pilots, you know, it came from behind, you know, just right step on, right in right in line with that kind of acting. Um, a little, a funny tidbit. Bill Burr is actually like not a fan of Star Wars. I don't. I. It's not like he hates it or anything, but it's just it's nothing that he has real interest in. It was he ran Maybe into John Favreau. Act, but, uh, do what? Maybe it's just one part of his act. Who knows? Maybe. You never know what people say about their lives is true. But uh, but he actually he ran into John Favreau at a birthday party, and Favreau just offered him the job there, uh, which I thought was really funny. Uh, so the plot of the episode is uh, the Mandalorian uh, contacts his former partner Ran for work. 
Ran welcomes him into his space station and informs the Mandalorian that he needs his ship for a five-man job. He is joined by ex-Imperial sharpshooter Mayfeld Deorinian, strongman Berg, droid pilot, pilot Q90, and the Twi'lek knife expert Xi'an for a mission to rescue Shan's brother Quinn, uh, a prisoner of the New Republic. After infiltrating the prison ship, they fight through security droids and make it to the control room where the ship's security chief triggers a security beacon before being killed by Shan. The crew rescues Quinn, but double-crosses the Mandalorian. He escapes and defeats each crew member, then captures Quinn. Uh, Q90 finds the child after deciphering the archive transmission from Grief Karga, but is shot by the Mandalorian before he can harm him. The Mandalorian delivers Quinn to Ran and departs with his payment. Uh, Ran immediately moves to launch a fighter to kill the Mandalorian, but discovers the New Republic beacon had been placed on Quinn, leading a trio of X-Wings to Ran's station where they attack uh, in the final scene, Mayfeld, Berg, and Shan are revealed to be locked in a cell on the prison transport, having been spared by the Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I love this episode a lot, but I have kind of varying opinions on the characters. Like, I love Mark Boone Jr. I love uh, Bill Burr. Where I loved, you know, I loved Clancy Brown in everything else. I don't really like him here, and I think and Natalia Tena. She like she all she always plays these really weird quirky characters. She's um, what's what's in Harry Potter? What's her name? Nymph- um, uh, Nymphadora, Nymphadora Tonks. Tonks. Yeah, yeah, Tonks. She plays Tonks in there. She's kind of a weird quirky character in uh, Game of Thrones. She's Asha, who's kind of the the, the uh, is the wildling, also kind of an odd character. Um, so that's kind of her specialty, and she really really amps it up here, and I think it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um. Like, she doesn't feel like a person. And the same with Clancy Brown. He just stands around and growls a lot and acts like a child, like a, this kind of spoiled child. Um, yeah, I, I don't really care much about either of them. But I think uh, Bill Burr and uh, Mark Boone Jr. kind of make up for it because I think they're super great. I love Bill Burr in this so much. Is that why you said don't show your face? <laughs> I wasn't a stormtrooper wise ass. Boston is canon confirmed. Exactly. Uh, yeah, he he's just fun. Like He just instantly hates the Mandalorian the moment he sees him. Or maybe after he makes the crack about, you know, not that, that's not saying much. Um, yeah. And he's just kind of like, he's a lot, he's a lot, lot less, uh, you know, childish about how he's constantly picking at him. Um, but he, he's just super competent. <laughs> He has uh, four blasters and then one on the extra arm. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit of overkill, but hey, I can tell you how to do your it's, job. It looks pretty cool to me, though, like in a ridiculous way. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's all it's all fun. They go in, you know, the scene where Mando has to take on all the security droids by himself, and they just kind of stay back. That's a that's a super cool scene to me. Like. It's weird, like fist, like fist fighting, and just like fighting without guns against droids has always been something that's been weird to me. Like, there's a lot of that in in the Clone War or in in the Clone Wars 2003 version. It always just looks kind of silly, but this fight scene looks pretty amazing. And as Obi Wan can tell you, it doesn't really work to kick droids. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I always get, I always get so mad at Bill Burr. Where he's like, I'm just gonna call him Bill Burr. Uh, he's like, you know, clamp your mess, like you, yeah. you jerk. <laughs> Then we get the standoff. Here's the thing. It was interesting to me. It, it kind of occurred to me, like, where was it ever established that Mando doesn't kill innocents? Like, 
I, I guess we just took it for granted because he's the good guy in the main character. But like before this episode, that was really never a thing. Like he's a bounty hunter. I think, I think this is kind of meant to be seen as like character growth. Um, I think like it's, but prior to like maybe episode two or really episode three, he would have, I mean, because in episode two, Mm. he's just like disintegrating Jawas without like a second's thought. So I, I think that this is supposed to be like, you know, he's, he's gone through the sanctuary episode. He's, discovering that he really does like he's trying to be protective of this child and so i don't know that that's how i read this scene at least mm-hmm. it works in the moment because you know he's our main character and we don't want this you know this nice young guy to die so it works but he's like wait where did that come from <laughs> he's a criminal bounty hunter like i don't think you know most of those guys don't have the highest scruples and i guess maybe it's just like the idea that he is just a just a like an innocent police officer kind of, like space officer kind of guy. So I guess I could buy that you know. Well, actually thinking about it, I, I'm I don't think it's too big of a stretch given like the code of the Mandalorians, you know, like the idea of honor that they that his clan lives by and everything. Like the idea that you find a foundling and either you take them in or you return them to their like their parents or, or you home. sell them to the Imperials. Like he see, like he sold a baby to these obviously evil people. Like he came back for him, but he did sell him. Right. Yeah. And and I think that well, it would the, his clan would have called him out on that, and it, which is you know like what we but they what we, they didn't. He goes back and everyone's fine. But did, he I, gets his armor and leaves. But I don't think they knew what because remember he describes mm-hmm. it as like oh the my enemy helped me. He he never went into the specifics of. Of who the the puck was, you know. Sure, which is why I kind of wish they that was that was kind of like they, they turned on him for that. I, was just, I talked about in the first episode, but about this episode, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, then I I think I I think the episode is really solid, and then the moment of the turn where they they lock him in the cell and escape, I think it kind of turns from really good to just mind blowing. You know, he rips off the droid's arm and blows it. He blows his head off with his own yes. blaster. So cool. And then it turns into kind of a horror slasher movie, except the hero is the slasher. And just watching all these terrible people be terrified is kind of pure joy. <laughs> the strobe effect is just so good. Like uh-huh. it really sells like the mood of the scenes. And how and like the way he takes. I love how each takedown is completely unique you have berg where he tries to hang him he just rips him out of the ceiling and he uses that up. that shot is so cool like him using the cable to just rip him out of the ceiling grates uh and he uses every single gadget and it turns out that uh, deferonians are uh fireproof and that's also a great shot of just him walking through the fire and the doors the way the door is shot where it comes down like it comes down fast he disappears and then he raises back into camera <laughs> <laughs> the next one's close on his face. And I totally thought he was dead. He probably should be dead. I did too. I wish he was dead. Uh, um, and then the one where he takes on uh, Xi'an. Uh, the whole... like, I, You kind of think just a, a, a fight of throwing knives at each other might be kind of dorky. Well, then again, we've seen John Wick. Uh, but it's really well done. Um, kind of just charging through the throwing knives and they kind of end of the... St- like, I love how each one kind of cuts off at the moment he gets them. 
Um, but Bill Burr is my favorite, where he's the flashy light. You just kind of see him in the background. Mm. Right, you know, it's like the Arkham games. He's where Batman. are you? Here. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a lot of Batman in this. <laughs> a lot of a lot of things about this made me think about Batman, particularly Batman Begins. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, then going to uh, Quinn, where I like that he doesn't even try to fight. He just instantly goes into negotiating. It's like yeah, this is this isn't gonna work out for me. In line with him as a sleazy character. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, you kill the others, they got what they deserved. Um, and he he goes directly to the you know the the Mandalorian code and bounty hunters honor like I hate him so much. <laughs> Rand as a character is so much fun where he's he's so sleazy but also just kind of genial and likable about it. And when he sees Mando, he's like kind of confused at first. He's like, eh, oh well, I'll just play play off. And um, it j- just like the good old days, <laughs> he's a fun character. I love conversations where, where neither character means a thing they say, but they, you know, they just play along with it. Um, and the beacon, and the, the X-wing pilots, and you know, Mando having a, you know, always having a second plan. It's just, it's it just it, this episode just asked over the climax, just escalates and escalates, it keeps getting better. And then that final, you know, the final punchline of the the, uh, the beacon is just you you end with such a big smile on your face. Yeah. Uh and I also like like these kind of subtle world building as well, or like creating context for this era of like the idea of a new republic prisonership and and the beacons and so like it's it's starting to try to shape what the galaxy looks like now. Like in very small ways, but I still appreciated that. Oh, uh, did you notice uh the character the same character as Rio the same uh, alien as Rio in the prison? You know, like the character from Solo, voiced by John Favreau. Oh yeah, yeah. I said that. I was like, oh, there's little, there's little John Favreau. Oh, and actually, so speaking of space stuff, I, I completely forgot to mention this on the last episode. I really love the uh, the space battle that begins the the Gunslinger episode. Oh yeah, with the uh, that's my line, and just com- put uh, slamming the thrusters and shooting them from behind. That explosion was weird though, like. They they were going for that kind of, that very the practical explosions they used in the the original trilogy, but I feel like they kind of layered them on with CGI in a weird way. Like just, it, it, does it look weird to you? It looks different, but I actually liked it. It reminded me of the explosion in the Rebels episode where they they turned the uh, the gra- I I think it's the one where they turn that uh the the gravity well on itself yes and it pulls in there and it's because it's got that really colorful explosion it reminded me of that one so i kind of liked it i I thought it looked kind of cool baby yoda doesn't get much to do in this oh he dropped mayfield uh mayfield drops baby yoda like i just well that stupid punk from the previous episode drops him whenever mandalorian shoots him in my heart like skips but he was dead at least he was dead then i don't care (laughs) no excuses Yeah, also, the whole I, world gasps when he drops my, him. One of my favorite moments is him holding his hand out, and then he d- gets like destroyed, and Baby Yoda looking back at his hand. <laughs> incredible, just incredible. Yeah, it's pretty Baby Baby Yoda light overall, but he is adorable. All right, so next one, uh, Chapter Seven, uh, The Reckoning. This one is directed by uh, Deborah Chow and written by John Favreau. Um, Greg Frazier and Bass Iden are both credited as director of photography for this episode. Uh, but if I had to guess, I would say that's because um, the final moments, like the the scenes we see with um, uh, Giancarlo Esposito at the end, I think those were shot by Taika Waititi for you know al- alongside the shoot for the final episode. So whereas 
you only get you only get a director's credit if you direct so much. I, I don't know if the how how the um the uh the union for the for the cinematographers works, but I'm assuming I'm guessing that's why. Uh because that's why Bass Iodine is credited because uh, Greg Frazier is the one that, that worked with uh, Deborah Chow in her episode of The Sin. So I could th- all this could be wrong, but that's what that's my thought um, in seeing you know two of them credited. So uh, the Mando receives a transmission from Grief Karga, offering him a job to take out the client who has now completely subjugated Navarro. The Mando goes back uh, to Sorgon to recruit Caradun, uh, then to Arvala Seven to seek the aid of Kuil. Um. And since the Agnot has repaired and reprogrammed IG-11 for protection, the self-destructive bot also comes along for the ride. They meet Grief on Navarro, but while on the way to the town, they are attacked by flying creatures and Grief is poisoned. Uh, Baby Baby Yoda then force heals him with a previously unknown power that definitely will not come into play in any later Star Wars content that comes out afterwards. Later, Grief, uh, suffering a crisis of conscience, admits to Mando and Kara that this was all a trap uh, to kill Mando and get the child. They hatch a plan to pretend to bring Mando in so that he, he can kill the client uh, when they get close and free the town. And also kind of free baby Yoda from the bounty that's on his head that, that he'll never be free from otherwise. Uh, they meet with the client, but an un- unexpected hail of blaster fire from it, from the outside kills everyone in the room except the people that it was aimed for. And it turns out the dearly departed client's boss, uh, the, a monologuing Moff Gideon, uh, has a whole army outside and the good guys are trapped. And uh, meanwhile, Kuwil tries to escape to the Razor Crest on a blurg with Baby Yoda, but he is pursued and um, nothing happens to him and Baby Yoda is captured. And yeah. Moment of silence for Kuwil. Uh, yep. This episode is... Uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's like just super kind of plot heavy. It's just a lot of pieces just moving around to get them in place of the finale. Kind of just a lot of table setting. Like all of it, good and necessary, but there's you know not a lot of just like the great Mandalorian stuff in it. At least for me, what do you th- what do you think about it? Uh, yeah, it's it's always weird. Whenever I think about like the episodes, I always have a hard time in my head thinking about how this one starts and ends because I associate so much of like this particular situation with like this the the finale, and I'm like, oh wait, technically. That's that's not this episode. That's this, and so like all of my favorite bits about this, like this last moment, like because these are essentially just a two part episode, um, and all of my favorite bits are in the second part. But I still I like this one. Like I I think it's good. I think it's better than her. Uh, I think it's better than the sin. Um, really, for me, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's you know it's a lot of moving around. Um, I don't. Know that I buy Kuil joining the party, like everything about his character, everything he said, you know, that about what made him who he was. He, you know, he wanted his independence, he wanted his peace. And the the guy who said, you know, may the child live and bring you, you know, bring you a rich reward. I don't see him now joining a crusade to protect the kid. Like it, it just didn't feel entirely true to who his character had been established to be. Like, I'm glad to see him. Like, more Nick Nolte as Kuil is always welcome, but it felt very convenient. Like, we're gathering the Avengers now, so we gotta get everybody we've ever seen. Like, I'm surprised they didn't go back and get Amy Sedaris as well. <laughs> and her pitch rights. Uh, I, I actually, like, I, I buy it. I, I think the character, because it, it reminds me of, like, one of the things you said in, in the, the episode, the child, or no, it was, yeah, it was the first one, where, uh, 
he feels like he's gone through so much servitude and him helping the Mandalorian is him being able to choose definitively, like make his own choice to do something good. You know, he's, he's being active in this Mm -hmm. and he, he seems like that. It's always, it's always very self-serving as well. You know, I'm helping you because you will bring peace to my Valley. Also, then he helps him because of the guest, right? But that's more kind of a matter of honor. Yeah. But, but I feel like all of that stems out. Like I, there, there's self, there's self-servingness in it, but I always just, he always felt like a very morally upright character to me. Uh, sure. And so I, I would buy that, you know, he sees this child, he know, and he sees, I think he could even perceive like the, the growth in the Mandalorian by the end of their exchange. And uh, I think he, he really liked him. And so knowing that, there's this scenario that could possibly result in the death of each of them. I, it's almost like, you know, whenever people, people retire and then they realize that they want to do more things like, Oh, well, I don't really just, I've, I've worked so hard to get here, but now that I'm here, I kind of miss doing things. So I, I feel like he's the kind of person where whenever he hears about this, it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll come back for one last ride. <laughs> I think we get this, this uh, really kind of odd flashback to uh, everything that happened with IG-11 until now. And I'm not sure. Is that is like, is that partially tongue-in-cheek? Is it, is it meant to be taken entirely seriously? I, I don't know. And I don't know if I should like it, but I like it a lot. Like, it's, it's so unnecessary. It's, it's like... You could have just said I I reprogrammed him, but like dedicating like a whole montage to like him learning how to like feed the animals and be a farmhand and and reprogrammed as a like it's it's so like you all of that could be served with a single line, but there's just something really fun and funny about dedicating so much time to it. It's like it's like Tarantino. It's like a mini version of Tarantino dedicating all of that time just so we know that she can punch through like a casket. Like we we. We didn't need that much time, but I kind of enjoyed it, so I'll allow it. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's just that the t- I, I, it's fun, but the tone thing is interesting. Like I, there's so there's something winking about it. Yeah, I I don't know what the intention behind the tone was. There's also an interesting kind of paralleling between him raising uh, the droid like through instruction and affirmation, and a kind of paralleling with Mando and the baby. Uh, just talking about you know, training children and ra- raising them and teaching them right. And this helps me like believe why he would join as well. Like, I mean, th- he's, he's training a droid through affirmation, you know, and like he gets super offended whenever his character is brought into question by Cara mm-hmm. Dune. You know, this, yeah. I feel like he's a, he's a good guy. He's just going to help. And that line, you know, uh, droids are not good or bad. They are neutral reflections of those who imprint them. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, we've had a, a you know, the Solo had the uh, the droid who's a, you know, campaigning for droid rights and against the enslavement, and uh, you know, very much, very much saying that your know, droids are sentient creatures. This one, this uh, this uh, you know, Star Wars show is kind of saying very much the opposite. You know, both um, you know, both he, you know, he says that, and I think as well, several times in the final episode, IG Eleven, you know, very much confirms his worldview that he is not, you know. He is not a fully sentient creature. He is just a slave of his programming. 
it's it's weird because there there's a, a lot of acknowledgement of like whenever whenever a droid acts up like it's presented even you know beyond this episode just in other shows whether it's rebels or, or the main films like when droids act up no loose wire jokes <laughs> did i say anything uh it's it is like like the they're very clear they're very clearly personalities but there is that kind of like oh you know with with chopper like yeah that's a damaged droid and that's why he is this way or you know c3p is always talking that's about that's why he's a jerk and i love i, I love chopper so much um <laughs> uh, but uh like you know c3pro will like bring up faulty programming just as insults to r2 and so it it still feels somewhat in line, I guess. They're just a lot more upfront about, ta- you know, saying like it is because of this. Yeah, it's a. I, I I don't I don't think Star Wars is ever going to fully resolve that question, just because, you know, droids are such an integral part, and if they are truly sentient, then uh, the morality of so much is called into question. Like it, it can't it, like so much of the fun stops becoming fun yeah i don't want to think about the moral implications of all of this and this is a really cool uh, kind of cool scene where um baby yoda thinks that uh, bando and Cara Dune are actually fighting when they're arm wrestling yeah and he does the force choke and his cute little face is so angry <laughs> and i love what this says about the force just like he goes to the dark side because he's angry and he's scared and like it, it's it's yeah, as natural for him. Dark. It's yeah, it's as natural for him as going to the light to protect. Like he's just a child, and he'll you know he's following his emotions. And like I I love that you know that using that bit of the dark doesn't automatically make him evil. You know it, you know if if he you know it, it can if he devotes himself to that, but it, it's there's <sighs> that's a whole the whole light versus dark is an entirely different discussion. But at least this goes well for my theory that. You know, light and dark aren't inherently good or evil. They're merely kind of representations of an emotional and philosophical state or an emotional state. And the dark is ne- is more negative emotions, which is why it's, you know, it's so often used for evil. I'll, I'll just have to combine the, the Mortis stuff and Bendu and Last Jedi. And all three of those things justify that take for me, at least. Mm-hmm. And then JJ came and forgot about that. Uh, different, different episode. <laughs> uh, and uh, so then it's revealed that uh, Grief Cargo is actually was actually going to betray them all along, which isn't exactly a surprise. Uh, <laughs> like he was really lobbying very hard for Cara Dude to stay behind. Uh, and the, the funny thing about like I am absolutely convinced that the Force healing is only in this episode. So that when it happens in Rise of Skywalker, people wouldn't kind of revolt against it as yes. they ha- have done for new force powers for some reason at other times. Yeah. Um, that said, I love that they give it a very you know, great dramatic purpose within this episode. Like it works perfectly good here where, you know, he heals grief Karga and since he owes him his life, he doesn't want to betray them. Like it's, it's given dramatic purpose and it has its own, you know, it, ha- it, it earns its right to be in this episode and, you know, not just as kind of a, a cheap setup, you know, the way like things in Iron Man two or something would have been. Yeah. And it complete, or and it, it, you know, adds intrigue around baby Yoda and you know, whenever Moth shows up and he's like, like that, you don't understand what this is. It means more to me than, you know, you could know. And I, I you know, it com- 
it adds this mystery. Mm. Yeah. And then, uh, what's his name? The client gets shot and I, oh, they, they killed Werner Herzog. And yes, I, I will grant that Giancarlo Esposito is, you know, at least, e- at least an equal villain, but still you don't kill Werner Herzog. <laughs> Or at least if you do, like give him a give him a monologue as he dies or something. Oh, his his final scene in Jack Reacher. Mm, yeah. Oh, no, his every scene in Jack Reacher. <laughs> I was about to say he's got a lot of them. <laughs> but oh, speak of, I love that line where he's like, uh, you know, he's talking. I should have written it down, but he's talking about like how incredible Beskar can look when it's crafted by. You know, a, a Mandal, an actual Mandalorian, and you have that and little he knows, yeah. nod, and he like knows helmet he nod from Mando. Yeah, oh, so good. Yeah, so sinister. Can I offer you a libation to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative? <laughs> I think that, that that's how Werner Herzog really talks to you when <laughs> when he offers you a drink at his home. Yeah. Um, and then we okay. What I don't entirely understand, like, so did. So uh, the client did not know that this was a trap, and he did not know that Moff Gideon was coming. How did Moff Gideon find out in, about any of this? I think is a kind of an important question. Also, like, what is his relationship with with the client? I'm I'm betting that like the the client probably told Moff Gideon everything that was going on, and Gideon was mm-hmm. like, "Okay, go along with the deal and bring him to me," and then just was you know on his own was thinking like he's not going to get it done so i'll just show up i have issues with the entire way that the, the the standoff in the bar is kind of framed and how it plays out like why don't they just walk in and arrest them <laughs> i just he just like the show and the pomp and circumstance um if it just feels like a lot of you know toing and froing to do, uh, to do, to t- uh, to do a very simple objective that could be achieved very easily with the means he has. Yeah, I I think they should have either have the baby be with them, and then you would have had to have changed his introduction and not <laughs> open with him, you know, shooting everybody up, or establish that there is some like that there is reason for them to not swarm, like give give an advantage of some sort. Mm-hmm to the people yeah. inside to deter directly going in. What they could have done, they could have uh, held uh, Werner Herzog hostage. Oh yeah, Keep something like life. that. Um, although, I don't know that Gideon would care all that much. Uh, but yeah, we get uh, Giancarlo Esposito, uh, who is just wonderful, and boy does he monologue. Uh, I think he has at least like four different ones. Like The one here is, you, know, you have something that I want. You may think you have some idea of what you are in possession of, but you do not. In a few moments, it will be mine. And it means more to me than you will ever know. And he, like, he just like chews on every single word. and His, his eyes are so cold and soulless. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad is like my favorite show of all time ever. And Gustavo Fring is one of the greatest villains of all time. And I was super yep. excited to have him cast here. And I love just how much like how how they build up the character so quickly like i'm like okay good yes you treat this actor like he's worth this just with the the incredible tie fighter entrance and him mm-hmm. walking out with that cape and 
It's just so great. And every uh, line from the tracking perfect. shot along the barrels of the dark of the the uh what are the, the stormtroopers, the, the black ones called? Uh, death troopers. Yeah. That tracking shot along the barrels of the death troopers when they were first revealed. Ugh, it's so good. Also, awesome to see death troopers again. Yes. Scary looking things. Um, oh, one cool thing about this episode and the final episode together is that when uh, when they were trying to shoot this, they realized they didn't have enough uh, stormtrooper extras and costumes so they put a call out to the 501st Legion, which is this fan group of people. I don't know entirely. I guess they just dress up as stormtroopers, kind of for conventions and things like that. That and like, there's a, they do a lot of like charity work. It's a, from what I can tell, it's a genuinely great organization. Okay, but they they put out a call to these this this fan group of people who who make their own costumes and blasters and all that, and they all came they came in and were able to be extras on the set, you know, in the show. And it kind of shows because a lot of them don't know how to hold blasters. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still pretty cool. Uh then uh that quill hap uh thing, the, just a quill. Um yeah. Listen. Quill. Some things just shouldn't be shown the way they're shown. Like that the shot of him riding the blurg just the determination in his eyes. He's I oh, cutting from that to his smoking corpse. No, cu- no, cutting from that to Baby Yoda just lying by himself in the ground. Oh yeah, and then and then to his corpse. Like that should be illegal. <laughs> That's not right. Oh, it and hurt, uh, Mando's voice, the Quill. Are you there? Do you copy? It just keeps going. <laughs> like that—that's that, a cliffhanger, man. Yeah, it's, it's I a cliffhanger. I was so <laughs> emotionally distraught by the end of this. I was so angry. Like it's not—it's it, not bad storytelling. It's just it makes me. It does everything it, they wanted to do, which has hurt me, but, oh Yeah, you kill, like, the nicest character and then place, like, the, everyone's favorite character in Jeopardy at the end of your episode. Uh, it's the whole internet just freaked out. And we had... Did we have to wait two weeks or was it just one week? It was just the one week. No, but... Uh, they, they moved the airing date. I think they moved the airing date to, like, a Wednesday instead of a Friday. So it was, like, a week and a half. Okay. Was, was this because of Rise of Skywalker, maybe? Yeah, I think I think they like they were they were originally airing on Fridays. Am I right? I think yes. And so I think they moved it. I think that was the the week the weekend of Rise of Skywalker. So I think they moved it to, like, to a Wednesday or something, and then next week on the Friday was uh the final episode. Is I believe how it happened. And so these last two episodes are pretty much a a, a two parter. For the uh, the final episode, this is episode eight, Redemption. This was directed by Taika Waititi, uh, and written by John Favreau. It guest stars uh, Jason Sudeikis and uh, Adam Pally as the two bike scout troopers at the beginning. Who, who weirdly, uh, Sudeikis is not credited. Uh, Pally is. That is weird. He's not. Um, so in this one, uh, IG-11 rescues the child from the scout troopers. Uh, Gideon warns Karga, Dune, and the Mandalorian that they face certain death unless they agree to assist him. IG-11 arrives and breaks the standoff, but Gideon injures the Mandalorian. The child uses the force to deflect an attack, uh, to deflect an attacking stormtrooper's flamethrower back on him. The Mandalorian sends the others through a sewer grate with the child to help, uh, to find help from the Mandalorian enclave, while IG-11 removes his helmet to tend to a head injury. Joining the others, the Mandalorian finds the covert group of Mandalorians dead or escaped, except for the armorer. She tasks him to care for the foundling child like his own, discover its origins, and return it to its kind. The armorer fashions the Mandalorian his own signet and gives him a jetpack. Their group is ferried down an underground lava river, but then they are ambushed by stormtroopers. 
IG-11 self-destructs to eliminate the, the surrounding stormtroopers. Gideon attacks in a TIE fighter, and the Mandalorian uses a jetpack to bring, a, to bring him down, but the Moth survives and cuts himself out of the ship with the dark saber. The Mandalorian leaves the child while Karga and, uh, while Karga and Dune stay behind. Um, Taika Waititi, uh, he's pretty good. And uh, you, you can, t- like, I think part of this is also he had a bigger budget, but you can kind of tell that this was a movie director taking over. Like it's in like it's still very much within the house style for the Mandalorian, you know, the, kind of the muted color palette and kind of loose handheld handheld flavor. But still, I think it just it just feels bigger. The compositions just look a little bit cooler and more distinctive. And like it just it just looks just ever so slightly more impressive than I think the rest of the show. Yeah, I think this is more than any other episode. This is the one where. Like if you had convinced me that this was like the last forty minutes of one of the stand, like the Star Wars story spinoffs, I would have believed you. You know, like that it feels of that production and that quality. <laughs> it was so crazy. This the final episode. We end on Kuil Yo Smoky in the mud, and then we open with a five minute comedy bit, <laughs> two comedians just kind of riffing on each other, and it's beautiful. I love every second yeah. of it. It reminds me, like, you know, you talked about in the first episode, it's it's a risk because you, you had the one comedian playing the guy that, you know, wasn't amazing. But when you have when you have someone like Taika taking them in and doing this, then it becomes gold and it's amazing. I love this opening so much. And the whole thing, I advise you to check. The moth just touched down and already took out a squad of local troopers. <laughs> and then they call back later. He just killed an officer from dropping. So this might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> did you just not, did you not just hear that Gideon killed a dozen of his own troopers just to make a point? I get that point. Do you get that point? <laughs> I love the like just the way he turns on his bike and just sits on it sideways like a kid bored. Oh, it's so good. Oh, and Baby Yoda squeaks and he just punches him. Oh, and like so, I feel like the weirdest mix of emotions. Like whenever he punches him, I'm so angry. But there's just something about the way that shot that that's it's so funny at the same time. And the squeak. Oh. And that you know they can't hit the the thing. They just like shake their blasters. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then he punches him again, and then he, he bites. The, oh, I love that the second trooper just really wants to see it. See it. You know, do you think he needs water? You sure he's alive? He's it's been a long time him. since that thing's made any noise. <laughs> he bites his finger and he punches him again. It just keeps going on and on. Um, but then IG-11 comes and massacres his, like, uh, what he does to the wrist is Mm. so painful to watch. I love watching, (laughs) there's something so satisfying about watching him beat him into the bike. (laughs) They got what they had coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, that was unpleasant. I'm sorry you had to see that. (laughs) Uh, but like, it's just so weird and random. Like, I feel like a lot of the comedy in this show, like, like the, the first episode where they, they, they hired, you know, this, they hired comedians. It doesn't always work. This one just, I think, you know, it's probably just a, a type of special magic, but it's just so much fun. It's so bizarre and random. But it, like, it's it's not one of those things of like, I don't think it works, but I like it anyways. It's like some, it, it's fine. It works in the episode. It's it's hilarious itself. I, it's it's all good. Yep. And let me go back to the standoff. And I, and I, I do have a criticism of this episode. I think. I think it's structuring really kills a lot of energy. Like you have a lot of, you're just standing around for a long time, just kind of sitting around in, in the, with the standoff and they have a fight. 
then the, they, you know, they come back in, they stick around for a while, they escape, they go into the, you know, they're wandering around the sewers for a while. Uh, then there's a fight where, uh, you know, the armor beats a bunch of stormtroopers and they get in a boat and they sit in a boat for a while. Like there's a lot of just kind of sitting around in this episode, which I think kind of kills the momentum. Like, you know, it, it has great moments, you know, there's good character beats, you know, great action beats, but I feel like it's kind of like t- TV episodes that kind of surround standoffs are really kind of delicate as far as the pacing. I, I, I don't know this one entirely works in its pacing. Yeah, I feel like part of it is it's put in a, a difficult place of opening midway through a standoff, and you've got to mm-hmm. resolve that standoff while also allowing for the rest of the episode and an at like a climax in an episode it, that opened up with the climax to a standoff. Like that's it's you're essentially having to create two climaxes within a singular episode, and that's that's I feel like just naturally going to make things feel weird. It's it's also the longest episode in the show, uh, like I think a good like you know seven or eight minutes, and you kind of feel like I, I I think all the other episodes are really well you know the, some of them are even too short like you never feel long I think this one is the first one that feels a little long, that's it you know, it's it's you know, that's not doesn't make it bad by any means it's just kind of it's the first time I felt a little like okay we can get moving again in the in this series. Uh, <laughs> And then you know, Moff Gideon gets several more uh, beautiful um, monologues. You know, your astute panic suggests that you understand your situation. I would prefer to avoid any further violence and, occur- and encourage a moment of consideration. <laughs> he's just, and then he goes like giving the specs of the E-Web cannon and he's, he's having so much fun. Like, I love this kind of character where it's like, he's there killing his own people. And he's also the person saying, I, I want to avoid this kind of violence. If you are asking if you can trust me, you cannot. Just as you broke our business arrangement, I will gladly break any promise to watch you die at my hand. Uh, why does he give them till nightfall? Like he he has every single card. That's that was my biggest question. <laughs> was like, you you need to artificially create this kind of countdown to allow for conversation in there, and it it sticks out to me. That is a really weird. Like they're talking in there, and there's a line. Um, Mandalorian Mandalorian isn't a race, it's a creed. Which, uh, no, it's definitely a race. Like, if you watch Clone Wars and Rebels, well, at least it's, a, it's an ethnicity. Like, they're, they're, it's a people. And, you know, they're born, their children are Mandalorians, it's a culture. Like, are you, are you, like sure, you could, like, I guess you could say, like, it's changed since the purge, but this, this show makes absolutely no acknowledgement of what Mandalore actually was. It acts like the what it, it acts like the current status quo. You know what's been the status quo for ten years. They act like that is what it's always been. Yeah, it's weird, and another, like one of the reasons why the line is weird to me is because you know she says it's not a race, it's a creed, but then we still have the acknowledgement of like they, the actual Mandalorians, took me in as one of their own, and so like it still yeah. acknowledges that there is ethnic mandalorians but it like it, it's just the writing of that one line of like it isn't a race like no it is it is a creed and a race and you can be adopted into it as a you know because of the creed but it's yeah there's still mandalore is a planet you know this is they are a people yeah the people who who are born on mandalore they're mandalorians and they're all related to each other and <laughs> it's just a weird line and then we, we get the final flashback you know the final uh flashback of his childhood and we would see the, the gunships the, you know, the gunships from the uh, Andoran Ark in Clone mm. Wars 
So good. Uh, it was really cool. Yeah. And uh, the Mandalorians that save him are Death Watch. Like, they have the Death Watch uh, signet. Oh, I did not pick up on that. Uh, and, and the blue suits, um, which is pretty, which is very interesting. This happened, I guess this happened, I look at the timeline of the Clone Wars. Um, the Death Watch was aligned with the Separatists for a while. Then Duke betrayed them, and they were so. I guess it happened after the betrayal, um, and I, hmm, I wonder if this is before or after the the current the current arc we're watching on Mandalore, where Death Watch joins with the Republic to retake Mandalore. Oh, I don't think it matters because I don't even know. I don't know that Favreau knows any of this anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Baby Yoda and uh, IG Eleven ride through town and kill everyone. Which is such a cool action sequence. Uh huh. It's so well shot. The way he's you know he has he's wearing Baby Yoda and the little baby like the, the baby carrier, and then he spins his body around as he starts shooting at him. So good. It sounds like the weight of that, like just as he you know as he's speeding around and the 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 bike goes spinning, like it it feels like heavy and like the action feels like there's there's tangibility to it, which I think is really cool given how much CGI there is. Yeah. And then there's this gigantic, you know, uh, fight where they just, they charge, you know, he comes in, so she him and they all charge out. The shot of Mando charging out, he grabs the blaster and blows the guy in the face. Mm. It's so cool. And then just everyone shooting everyone. Um, and Gideon blows at the E-Web battery. Uh, I guess, I guess mortally injuring uh, Mando. Although I'm not, I mean, maybe he was kind of, he was just exaggerating about his injuries. <laughs> Oh, when, uh, when uh, IG-11 puts the baby down and looks at Grief Karga, if you go near this child, I will have no choice but to kill you. <laughs> and then they kind of go through the whole the whole death scene where you know, he he entrusts the uh, Kara Dune to protect the child. And uh, when uh, Baby Yoda goes all Kane and Jerris and holds back oh, the fire. Incredible. <laughs> and then he just like sits down really heavily. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most adorable thing. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently brain injuries can be healed by just a little back to mist on the on your hair. Yeah, that's good stuff. That you have suffered damage to your central processing unit. That is a joke. Just meant to put you at ease. <laughs> and I, you know, Pedro Pascal is a very handsome dude, but it's just so weird seeing his face after all this time. Like I've, I've accepted his voice, but I, I haven't entirely accepted that face to that to the helmet. Yeah, and that's the thing. I was I was wondering. Like how how is the reveal gonna work? Because it's just Pedro Pascal, and I think one of the thi- one of the reasons why it works for me is, like, I know who it is and I see him, and yet it's still kind of that oh yeah I, he is just he's a dude that's right. It kind like the reveal, despite you know it's not like oh it's this guy or it's that or look at this he's an alien or he's got the massive scars. It's to me it's almost that kind of last Jedi subversive reveal of like oh yeah he's just a guy. But you weren't expecting Sebastian Shaw, did it, were you? Frick! And then we, we go into the, the sewers and we find out the Mandalorian Covenant has been slaughtered. Or not Covenant, Covert, as they call it. That's the word. Um, but the armor has survived and she's salvaging and melting down all the Beskar armor. And we, she kind of gives everyone their mission for the rest of you know, for the, the future. Um, I love her lines. You know, it's a foundling. By creed, it is in your care. Um, you know, until it comes of age or is reunited with its own kind, you are as his father. And then she gives him the mod word saying that you are a clan of two. And it's all it's also warm and fuzzy. 
I love like just the confidence she carries herself with in this scene. You're like this is the way. Like it's just like you. There's no way around this. And when she says, "You know, you were as his father," and the cup to Baby Yoda, he looks all excited at him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, the season two hype is so oh, so real. Yeah. Then we finally get. He finally gets a jetpack. Um. And did you think that the armor was gonna die? I did. I did. Def- I was 100% preparing myself for another death. Ah, uh, but nope. She kills everyone with the hammer and talk. Dude, that bashing through helmets, that's just so cool. Yeah, they, they did something similar with uh, Donnie Yen in Rogue One. Where they, like, he hits them and you see like chips flying. Uh, but this like takes the violence to a whole other level. <laughs> she tosses the guy into the forge. He just vanishes. Uh, IG-11 has his big moment of sacrifice. You know, Please tell me that the child will be safe in your care. You have to tell me so my program will allow me to kill myself. <sighs> Two episodes in a row. You can't rob me of my my beloved characters. And I, 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 I kind of knew from the first episode that, that he was going to, like, I was fully expecting him from the moment he, I must self-destruct that he was going to self-destruct in the final episode or at some point in the series. And it happens. And that, But that like that's a really good use of that. Like, to introduce it as just, like, it's a, a bit of comedy, that whole episode, and then to actually bring it back this way. I think that's good. <laughs> so when Bob Kitty comes like, baby, you know, come on, baby, do the magic hand thing. <laughs> and then baby Yoda waves back, I'm out, I'm out of ideas. <laughs> I love that. The comedy in this episode is so oh, good. Carl Weathers is so freaking good in these last two episodes. You know, Navarro, it's a very fine planet. And now that the scum and villainy have been washed away, it's respectable again. But as a bounty hunter hive, some of my favorite people are bounty hunters. <laughs> he's yeah, just, he's, so he's good. just so big and goofy. I love it. Yeah, I I love this finale. Uh, and it, like, it's why to me the the idea of just throwing everything at the screen isn't inherently like the coolest thing that can be done. You know, we've seen so many huge, big battles and everything, and yet I felt like this was cooler and had more stakes than I think you see in a lot of things in which they're just throwing everything at the screen. Like just one guy in a jetpack against a TIE fighter felt he- like this huge action climax. And it was, uh, it just was super cool to me. And all like the shots of the, the TIE fighter behind the mountains, you know, like you'll see it, like there'll be like a, a space difference between different mountains. And so you keep seeing it, but then I'll go back behind another one and then it'll come around. And, and then the shots where the camera's like fixed between the upper two wings. Like it's just, that whole thing feels so epic and like the scale feels massive, but it is like, it's, it's a tie fighter versus a few people on a boat. I, it's just really, really cool to me. The tie fighter sound is just one of the most iconic things yeah. in film. And the way like you feel the speed, like whenever he grapples onto it and he's just being whipped around, like it, Ah, it's it's so cool. And uh, at the end, where they kind of all decide where they're gonna go, and Baby Yoda is just you know holding onto Mando's leg, looking up at him. It's, it's too precious. It's too sweet. He's the best. Yeah, che- chewing on at least in the spaceship, just chewing on the Mandalorian necklace. Yeah, you uh, keep that. So uh, then we end with uh, Moff Gideon with the dark saber, and I know like everybody else like, oh my god, dark saber. I was like. Oh no! Does that mean Bo-Katan is dead? <laughs> That's like I, I, I did both. I was like, oh, it translates so well to live action. It's so cool. And then I was like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, timeline. And I thought back. I was like, oh no, <laughs> what happened to Bo? So yeah, that's that's the that's the show. Um, and we still are absolutely no closer to knowing why anyone wants Baby Yoda. We're still pretty kind. We're still kind of fuzzy on what exactly happened to Mandalore. Like, what was the Great Purge? Uh, 
yeah, I, I the one I'm more kind of irritated with is you're still still not telling us why anyone wants Baby Yoda. Like, <laughs> does like does John Favreau even know? Like, does he? Is he just? I just want a Baby Yoda in there. So. This one, like, that bothers me less than just the, the fuzziness around the Mandalorians and, like, the, the helmet rule, that this is the way, found, like, all of this, the purge that was never in the shows. Now, given that, like, the plot of season two is we're, get, we're trying to find the homeworld of the Yoda species, I'm way more okay with not knowing. I was like, okay, so that that is the point of season two. Like, it's not something you forgot. It's something you're setting up. But it's it's all of this weirdness around the Mandalorians that I'm like, by the end of the season, I was still like, uh, I love this, but man, don't, don't contradict some of my favorite star Wars stuff, please. All right. So uh, go, how would you rank these uh, all eight episodes together now? Uh, so I, I told you before, before we were recording, the only thing that I'm like solid on with, uh, with this ranking is the top two and the bottom two. Okay. We'll see. I, I think this is it so far. Um, number one for me is uh, episode eight, Redemption. Number two is episode two, The Child. Uh, three would be episode six, The Prisoner. Uh, four would be episode seven, The Reckoning. Five would be episode one, The Mandalorian. Six is episode four, The Sanctuary. Uh, Sanctuary. Seven is episode five, The Gun, or uh, episode three, The Sin. And then eight would be episode five, The Gunslinger. Interesting. Uh, so mine is, um, my number one is The Child. Uh, number two, The Prisoner. Number three, The Sin. Number four, Redemption. Number five, Sanctuary. Number six, The Reckoning. Number seven, The Mandalorian. And number eight, The Gunslinger. Yeah, so going into the reception of the show, uh, very, very good. I, I feel like it, it was a little dubious out of the gate. I feel like it, the episode The Sin is what like brought everyone together and on board with the show. Um, they were, people were kind of iffy, they were kind of confused for the first two ones. And then they started complaining uh, when the, the middle three chapters were all just episodic Western adventures. Then the final two episodes came on and then everybody loved it again. And it was definitely, you know, the most amazing Star Wars thing, the best thing ever produced since the original trilogy and all, all, that, all that noise. I will say, though, I think the people who were complaining midway through were a min- like a, a vocal minority because I still I, I remember like when the Sanctuary episode came out and, you know, all of a sudden there was all of these memes of like, hey, Disney, this is how you do a female character. Like there's still you were just seeing. Uh, I, I still just remember seeing a lot of praise through as soon as as soon as it people realized what it was and that initial wave of love. I think most people continue to love it. Um, there are just a few people who are finding ways to to be angry. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know anyone. No, no one fell off the train, but I feel like. People, there's a lot of people saying that we they, they just didn't like episode the episodic story they wanted like there's every like every episode be like this doesn't advance the story this doesn't advance the story <laughs> that's the point um but yeah and but yeah overall this has been an enormous success and it was able to you know to, to unite both star wars fans and those people who only like the first the original trilogy which is pretty kind of a miracle in and of itself i've had to like make sure that I don't do to this what I did with Rogue One initially of just like, well, actually, it's not that good because, like, I really like this. I, I don't think it's as good as things like The Last Jedi or The Force Awakens. Like, I I still really enjoy it a lot, but there, everybody just pointing to it being like, ah, this is what Star Wars is. I'm just having to remind, be like, no, I, I disagree with them, but I'm not going to let that take away from my love for this show. Yeah, I, I definitely like 
the first four Disney movies better than this. I like this a lot. I like this better than Rise of Skywalker, but you know, <laughs> what does that say a lot? But like, I, I, I still prefer those. It, 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 it is kind of ridiculous to be like, oh my god, this is so much better than the movies. Like, it's good. It's really, really good. But so are those movies. Yeah, but this, this just is kind of a genuine phenomenon. You know, Baby Yoda is a is thing. Like, it's, it is now forever in the pop culture. Um, you know, this is the way I have spoken. Every, you say that anywhere, everyone ex- instantly knows what you're saying. And it is amazing how just like incredibly fast this cemented itself in pop culture. It was Baby Yoda, man. Mm, you gotta love him. This is actually interesting timing for us um, because I know England just now got their the Mandalorian. I think they're they're a little over halfway through the series with their week to week release, but. I like oh, other still countries doing week are, to week for them after making them wait. Yeah, they got the first two episodes and then, oh, then they're getting week to week. Brutal. Uh, yeah. Um. So like other countries are only now just getting the series. And uh, I was I listened to a, the, the Empire Film Podcast, which, you know, a British film podcast, and they're talking about like, how weird it was. You know, they've seen they've had like a whole year of Baby Yoda memes, and now they're finally getting the context. Ugh, that's I I don't know how this deal happened. Like that just seems so crazy. Ah, well, I feel bad for him. So as uh, as far as uh, the next season, season two, uh, it's currently set to premiere in October. Um, although you know the all the coronavirus stuff is happening, so I, I don't like it's all post production, so I don't think it'll be delayed. But I'm not going to be all that shocked if it does happen either. They've been very they've had a very tight lid on details. We don't even know like all, who all the directors are. Like the like, casting rumors will come out, but the, there have been so few like official announcement they're all kind of just like this person says that this person was cast and it is, it is weird just how you know how tight they have been on details i guess i was thinking the same thing for something that's supposed to premiere this year like and it's weird you know you'll see a lot of rumors and then they'll really get picked up and it'll essentially just get to the point of being taken as confirmed but there's been a lot of rumors around here a lot of that i hope are true because it'd be awesome but it you know that they've they were around, they were articles, you know, so-and-so is rumored, and we never got further than that, you know? It's, so I'm, I'm very curious to see if there's, if they're just, they're gonna, you know, blow us up with some crazy new addition to lore that they're just having to keep completely under wraps. Yeah, so hopefully in a few months we will have another episode of Awesome TV to talk about. Oh, I'm so ready. Like, whenever... The armor is essentially like laying out the plot of season two. Like you must return the child to its home. I'm like, oh man, bring on season two right now. We're going to the Yoda homeworld. I'm so excited. Being pursued by Gideon. Can, can the world take two baby Yodas? I don't know. What are we, what are we gonna do when we get baby Yoda's name? Ugh, this is gonna be crazy. But the idea of like the point of this being to try to find the planet of the species being pursued by Giancarlo Esposito with a dark saber. Like, ugh, I'm so ready. Yeah. And he's going to have a jetpack. So, yep, that was our episode on The Mandalorian uh, Season 1. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, again, I'd like to ask you to please uh, take a moment to head over to iTunes and uh, leave us a rating and review. Um, If you want to follow us on Facebook, uh, we are there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. And we are on Twitter and Instagram as Franchised Pod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And where can people find you, James? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. I'm there as JL Hamry. It's J L H A M R I. 
Uh, and you can also follow us over on the Outer Rim, a Star Wars group on Facebook. So if you are excited about Star Wars and you love all of the stuff being put out, definitely join us over there for some fun conversation. All right, so you can find me on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. I can uh, find me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green, and I have a YouTube channel where I put out these uh, movie-based music videos called Greenery01. Uh, next week, James, are you emotionally ready to talk about The Rise of Skywalker? Can you do no, it? No, because I haven't seen it a second time yet, so I don't know. Oh, you haven't seen it twice yet? Not yet. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. So uh we'll see we'll see how i feel i'm feeling a bit more optimistic uh hearing all of the hype around the clone wars episodes and then just enjoying the mandalorian again it's got me back in that star wars mood so i'm i'm ready here to be it comes optimistic. to crush it <laughs> <laughs> so next week we are going to try to talk about the rise of skywalker uh you know pray for us <laughs> So, until next week, we will see you in the culmination. Do not cast doubt on that of what I am, nor whom I will serve.